Hello Highland Community Church. I'm Tom Nelson, my wife Carrie, and we've certainly missed seeing many of you um, for our worship services on Sunday. Um, hoping that'll end soon, but we, we trust in the Lord and in His timing to uh, allow that to happen. Um, we trust that also during this time that you're able to keep your eyes focused on the one who can calm our fears, who can calm our frustrations, and certainly give us peace in this time of uncertainty. Psalm 121 reads, I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will, will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not sh strike you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. What a statement of hope and security that is. Mm, yes. And our prayer and hope is that that we can support each other, continuing to support each other as a church. Um, oftentimes it's going to be from a distance that we can pray for each other and just uh, come alongside as we navigate these waters, um, always believing that and knowing that we've been called to, to be a sweet aroma of Christ, as uh, 2 Corinthians 14 states. 2 Corinthians 2.14, But thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession, and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. Blessings to all of you. We hope to see you soon. Good morning, Highland. Hope everything is going well in your home today. My name is Al Nagel. I'm one of the elders here at the church. And uh, just want to make a few announcements. Um, we will uh, be offering uh, three rooms that you can reserve if you want to have a meeting here, a small group meeting. Um, there is a place that you can register online. If you go to our website and scroll down to the tabs, and it's, I think it's called Room Reservation, and you can select one of three rooms. Now, in order to do that, we do need to ask you to just email the office and let Julie know uh, which room you'd like and when. We also would ask that you do that three days, three business days prior, so we can get you on the schedule. So, if you could do that, that would be, be great. Um, we also just want to ask you to, to take this time to, you know, reach out to your neighbors, um, help where you can. You know, there's, there's a lot of people that just need encouragement, and uh, we just want to encourage you to, to be that light in, the, in your neighborhood or whoever you come in contact with. Um, so then one last thing I want to mention is that Julie is going to be updating our directory. So if you have any contact information that's changed, maybe you have a new photograph of your family, um, send that in to Julie and she will be updating the directory and we'd like to get you in on that. And even if you're not a member here, um, certainly feel free to, to give her that information. We'd like you to be in there so that we have that to share with everybody. So with that, if you would join me in prayer. Our dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I just thank you for this day. Lord, I thank you um, for how you can use each of us. 
And Lord, I just pray that, that you would and that you would help us to be open to your direction. Lord, I want to pray for medical workers that are helping people that are sick. I ask that you keep them healthy and safe. And I pray that our community would stay healthy. Lord, I, uh, I thank you how we can turn to you in all things and that you hear our prayer. Lord, we ask that you'd be with us this week. Guide us, Lord. And Lord, I just pray that you would use us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a great week, everybody. Have a great week, everybody. Well, good day, Highland Community Church, and uh, I'm glad to welcome you uh, to your beautiful sanctuary, although I have to tell you, it's lonely in here. It's just Larry and I, and uh, he, he's a good friend. He's becoming a good friend, but I miss you, even though we, I haven't met most of you, but I miss you, and I look forward to the day in which this room will be filled with people who are passionately worshiping our great God. I need to tell you a story of something that happened on Monday. My youngest son, Andrew, lives in St. Louis Park, and he had to pick up some lumber at a uh, lumber yard. And so he asked if I would go there and, in my truck and, and bring the lumber there. So we loaded it up and we took it over to his house in St. Louis Park. And he's, he's the daddy of a two-and-a-half-year-old boy as well as a one-year-old boy. And so we unload the lumber, put it into his garage for a project he's working on, and the boys wake up from their naps. And so they look out and they see Grandpa in the front yard. And so they've got a, a glass uh, front door. And so they're on the inside and I'm, I'm outside on the steps. And so we start talking a little bit uh, together. And then I hear my two and a half year old grandson bring two books up to the glass. And then he says, Grandpa, will you read these to me? I tell you what, that's just like a knife going in your heart. And then the one-year-old came up and he puts his palm up against the glass. And so I put my palm there and then he takes his hand to his mouth and he blows me these kisses. And it was so incredibly tender, but it also made me realize that this is such an unusual time. You know, with my nine-year-old and my eight-year-old grandchildren, I can talk and converse with them and we can talk about significant things. But when you've got a two-and-a-half and a, a one-year-old, all you really can do is you want to wrestle with them. You want to get on the floor and tickle them and laugh with them and read to them. And so I long for the day in which we'll be able to do that. And I long for the day in which we'll be able to be all together. And hopefully that will be sooner rather than later. So let's together worship the Lord, shall we? Praise to the Lord, the Almighty, the King of creation. Oh, my soul, praise Him, for He is thy health and salvation. All ye who hear, now to His temple draw near. Praise Him in glad
praise to the Lord who wore all things so wondrously reigned. Shelters thee under his wings, yea, so gently sustained. Hast thou not seen how thy desires there have been? Granted in what he former church in North Carolina uh, partnered with a magnificent ministry that was committed to training pastors in Central America. So our church made a seven-year commitment to send teams down into Costa Rica twice a year for these seven years to provide this training for 30 Tico and Panamanian pastors. Uh, it was the pastor's responsibility to get to the retreat center, and it was our church's responsibility to send the teachers, the cooks, the cleaners, all the people necessary to execute the, the camp for those four days that the uh, pastors were together. So our routine was to travel there a couple of days early in order to get the camp ready. And so I remember on, on one particular occasion that I was there, that the, uh, the retreat director gave to our team a list of the work that needed to be done in preparation for these pastors' arrival. And so on that list 
was the item of cleaning the toilets, which, of course, is at the bottom of the rung of the service assignments that one would want to participate in. And so uh, he, he's speaking of these assignments, and then he's pausing and waiting for people to raise their hands and to volunteer for these particular assignments. And so, again, I'm, and I'm not proud to say this at all, but in, in uh, the spirit of full disclosure, as he's waiting for people to respond to these assignments, my mind is beginning to have a conversation. And here's what my mind is telling me. You're one of the primary teachers for this week. And you're the pastor of a large church in North Carolina. Uh, you're too old to get down on all fours and do some of the cleaning. So not really proud uh, of those uh, comments, but they're real. And as my mind is, is thinking and ruminating over those thoughts, suddenly the Spirit of God breaks in to my conversation. And he says, remember, Dean, you came here to serve. Now, he never said toilets, but he didn't have to. And so I raised my hand. And I said, I'll do the toilets. And so I cleaned the toilets in preparation for their arrival. And after their departure, I cleaned them again. And I was reminded once again about what it means to be a humble servant of the Lord. Well, today we are going to be looking at a text in Philippians chapter 2 that talks about humble service to the Lord. We're going to look at the portraits of four great servants. Paul lists them here in chapter 2. And as we look at each of these four portraits, a description is going to emerge about what humble service looks like. The key verse for us is found in Philippians 2 and verse 17, where Paul writes, But even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. So here Paul talks in, in one short little verse, four times about being glad and rejoicing to have joy. And it comes in the form of humble service. Abraham Maslow was, a, was an American uh, psychologist, most famous for creating a pyramid that is known as the Maslow's Hierarchy of Needs. So this man has great insight into the human spirit. And he confirms what the Apostle Paul here says in chapter 2 and verse 17, when Maslow writes these words, Without exception, I have found that every person who is sincerely happy, radiantly alive, was living for a purpose or a cause beyond himself. Did you get that? Every person who is radiantly alive, inherently happy, joyful, is living for a cause that is greater and bigger than himself. In other words, serving someone or serving something that is bigger than us 
will indeed bring us joy. And so we're talking today about another source of joy, the joy of humble service to others. The first portrait is that of Jesus in chapter 2 and verses 5 through 11. This is what Paul says. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death upon a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So Paul sets this, uh, this portrait up by saying in verse 5 that our attitudes should be the same as the attitude of Christ Jesus. Now this section that I've just read this morning is some of the most important theology in the entire scriptures about the incarnation of Jesus. And it shows the downward steps that Jesus took from his place in heaven to the earth culminating in his death upon a Roman cross. It was the year 1971. The rock group Led Zeppelin recorded a song that was called The Stairway to Heaven. It is arguably one of the greatest rock songs of all time. Well, the Apostle Paul here in chapter 2 of Philippians also writes a song. It's not stairway to heaven, but it's the stairway from heaven. And it features Jesus following this staircase from heaven to the earth and to his death. If you're watching this as a family, uh, you might want to stop the recording and just take a few moments as a family and go through the steps that Jesus took from heaven to earth to his death. Now in verse 6, we're told that Jesus did not, equal, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, something to be held on to. In other words, Jesus did not use his position for his own advantage. So if I might use imagery from the corporate world, uh, uh, on the board of this corporation, there are three people, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And uh, these board members are sitting in a conference room around a table, and they are talking about a plan by which to restore humanity, which had fallen from its wonderful place of innocence in the Garden of Eden. How could these, these board members uh, renew and to restore humanity to its position in the Garden of Eden. And one of the ideas on the table was that uh, of one of the board members, Jesus in this case, coming to the earth, becoming a man, and submitting himself to death upon a cross. And that would restore humanity 
to its former position of having a relationship with God. So Jesus is sitting at the table as a board member, and Jesus had veto power over that plan. And yet the scriptures tell us that Jesus did not veto that plan. He did not hold on to his position or his prestige or his power. He freely gave it up for the sake of restoring humanity to its relationship with God. How powerful is that? To refuse to use your position or your power for your personal gain. Mark Knoll is a professor of history at Wheaton College. And he writes, Throughout Western history, power has been a far more potent narcotic than the multitude of physical means that humans have used to get high. Power feeds on itself. It is almost never relinquished voluntarily. Well, that's what Paul is telling us about Jesus. He relinquished his power voluntarily. That's what makes Jesus unique in all of the people who have ever walked upon this earth. It continues, he made himself nothing. Or another translation says he emptied himself. It's not that Jesus emptied himself of his deity. But rather he clothed his deity in humanity. So that as he walked upon this earth... There was this, this wonderful uh, relationship of the divine and the human working together in such a way that, that we saw God in the flesh. He, he added to his deity humanity in order to become a man and also to become a servant. Also we see in verse 8 that he humbled himself. It is interesting that prior to the incarnation of Jesus, humility was rarely, if ever, considered to be a positive character trait. Most of the time it was seen as, as a sign of, of weakness. And yet Jesus lived in such a way as a humble servant of God that what had once been a sign of, of weakness was transformed into a positive character trait. Today, humility is always looked upon with a great deal of honor. The reason is because of the example of Jesus Christ. As God, Jesus did not use his position to his advantage. He, he gave up his position in heaven and he came to the earth and we're told that as a man, he humbled himself to experience the most humiliating kind of death that was possible. Crucifixion. There was no lower place in the societal food chain than to die by a Roman cross. 
It was a number of years ago, uh, I was in a gathering with some other pastors and they had some breakout sessions. And so I sat at the table with some other pastors and in my group, there was one pastor who I was familiar with. We had chatted, we were acquaintances, but we weren't necessarily friends. But, but, but I knew him, I, I respected him. He's telling the story about uh, being new in his church. And as he was walking through the building one day, there was a janitor who was struggling with a table. And as the pastor came by, the janitor said, Pastor, could you help me move this table? And the pastor told us that what he told the janitor was this, and I quote, I don't do tables. Now, I can understand that as a general uh, kind of responsibility, pastors are not called primarily to be custodians or, or janitors. And, and yet, there is something about the way this was said that communicated a whole lot more. I'm so glad that Jesus did tables. Because if Jesus didn't do tables... He wouldn't have died on the cross. He, he, he wouldn't have come to the earth. And as a result, we would not be forgiven of our sins. We would not have a bridge back to a relationship with God. We would still be in our, our position of being dead and selfish and self-centered. I'm so glad that Jesus did tables. Well, as a result of what he gave up, we're told in verse 9 that God has now exalted him from the lowest place. He's now been exalted to the highest place. And that one day his name will be such that every person who has ever lived, who has ever walked this planet, will acknowledge that Jesus is Lord. And so this is the first portrait. And what we see in this first portrait is that, that humble people do not use their position, their power, or their prestige for personal gain. And in fact, I have learned this over the course of time, that when I see people who have a position of power, how they use their power is a strong indicator of how much character they have or the lack of character. We come to the second portrait, and that's of the Apostle Paul in verses 14 through 18. He says to the church, do everything without complaining or arguing, so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation in which you shine as stars in the universe as you hold out the word of life in order that I may boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor for nothing. But even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. So Paul is the second portrait of a humble servant. In verse 14, he says that humility is demonstrated both in our speech and our attitude. He says, do everything without complaining or arguing. When I read that, I go, 
Come on, Paul. Really? How difficult is that? Doing everything without complaining, grumbling, or arguing? What a high, high calling. D.L. Moody was a great, great pastor. He was a great leader. He was a man also of great humility. He was known to be very tolerant of others. Rarely would he complain and rarely would he ever criticize other people. He made a statement one time as to why he did not criticize others. Here's what he said. Right now, I'm having so much trouble with D.L. Moody that I don't have time to find fault with the other fellow. That's good, isn't it? Having so much trouble with myself that I don't have time to find fault with other people. The fact that Paul embeds a grumbling, complaining, argumentative spirit in a section about humility tells us a little bit about people who are argumentative and critical. Could it be that we are critical of others because we have an issue of pride? Perhaps it's because we have a sense of entitlement, that that our position, our opinion, is the right opinion, and because of that, we have the right to criticize and judge others. So Paul says that instead of complaining and arguing, that humble people permit themselves and their lives to be poured out to others in surrender. That's his thought in chapter 2 and verse 17, where he uses this expression, even if I am being poured out as a drink offering. So that leads us back to the Old Testament sacrificial system. There were three kinds of sacrifices or offerings that were offered in the Mosaic Law. First of all, there was the expiatory uh, sacrifices. Uh, These were two of them. They were the sin and the guilt offerings. And these would cover or atone for one's sins. These sacrifices also pointed forward to the future in which Jesus would die upon the cross. A second type of offering were the, was the communal offering. There were six of them. And these were communal, these communal offerings were voluntary. And they were offered with a sense of gratitude or thanksgiving for all that God had done for you. The third type of offering was the consecratory. There were three of them. The burnt, the cereal, and the drink offering, which Paul refers to here. These consecratory uh, offerings symbolized complete surrender. Uh, they represented a willful and joyful uh, sense of commitment to the work of God. That's the imagery that Paul uses here, that my life is going to be poured out. He says that humble people are those who pour out their lives in surrender. It is interesting that in the scriptures, uh, we're also told to be filled with the Spirit. You see, as we are filled with the Spirit, uh, 
the Spirit of God empowers us to pour our lives out in surrender and in service to others. We are filled up to be poured out. That's what Paul is saying here. So the third portrait comes in verses 19 through 24. It is the portrait of Timothy. Here's what Paul says. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, that I may also be cheered when I receive news about him. I have no one else like him who takes a genuine interest in your welfare. For everyone looks out for their own interests or his own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know that Timothy has proven himself because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him as soon as I see how things go with me. And I am confident in the Lord that I myself will come soon. So here we have Paul commending to the church his good friend and partner in ministry, Timothy. This is kind of his letter of reference and recommendation for his friend. Over the years as a pastor, I've had opportunity to write many different letters of reference. Sometimes there are applications to colleges, there are applications for uh, adoption, uh, for other kinds of things, for jobs, etc. And some of them are very easy to write. But sometimes I'm asked to complete a, a letter of reference for people that I don't know very well. I want to be honest and yet I can't really truthfully fill in and give a description of what the question is asking. And that's why it was funny to learn of a website put together by Robert Thornton. He is a professor of economics at Lehigh University in Pennsylvania. And he too found himself frustrated at having to write letters of reference for people that he didn't know very well. So he created a, a website titled The Lexicon of Inconspicuously Ambiguous Recommendations, or as he calls it, liar for short. For example, to describe a person who is very lazy, this is what he said you could say. In my opinion, you will be very fortunate to get this person to work for you. And hopefully you see the pun in that. Well, here in Philippians 2, we have Paul's description of Timothy. A letter of reference, a letter of recommendation for the church. After 10 years of Paul observing Timothy, this is what Paul had to say about him. I have no one else like him. His interest for you is genuine. It's not artificial. It's not made up. It's genuine and real. He said most people are consumed with their own interests. But Timothy, time and time again, has proven himself to be a good servant leader. No one in all of Paul's writings is ever described as Paul describes Timothy. Now imagine that you are uh, looking for a new employee. And this letter of recommendation crosses your desk 
for a position that you need to fill. Would you not want Timothy on your team based upon this letter of recommendation? You see, Timothy gives to us another description that that humble people put other people's interests before their own. They put other people's interests first. And so that leads us to the fourth portrait, that of Epaphroditus. Verses 25 to 30. This is how Paul describes Epaphroditus. But I think it necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus. Notice how he's described. My brother, fellow worker, and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs. For he longs for all of you and is distressed because you heard he was ill. Indeed, he was ill and almost died. But God had mercy upon him, and not on him only, but also upon me, to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I am all the more eager to send him, so that when you see him again, you may be glad, you may have joy, and I may have less anxiety. Welcome him in the Lord with great joy, and honor men like him, because he almost died for the work of Christ, risking his life to make up for the help that you could not give to me. So here's the story about Epaphroditus. Paul is in, has, under house arrest in Rome. And so the church at Philippi heard that Paul had some needs. So they, 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 they receive an offering for him and they send some provisions as well as this offering at the hands of Epaphroditus and several others. And they send this small group from Philippi to Rome. On the way to Rome, Epaphroditus becomes very, very ill. But he presses on. Even though he is ill, he presses on and he brings the provisions and that offering to Paul in Rome. It is of great benefit to to Paul in prison. However, uh, there was someone in that party when Epaphroditus got sick that went back to Philippi and told the church there about how ill Epaphroditus was. So they were very concerned about one of their own people who had been sent on this mission. Paul learns that they are very concerned about um, Epaphroditus. And so now, after Epaphroditus is healthy, he sends Epaphroditus back to Philippi. So here is a man, Epaphroditus, who risked his life, we're told in verse 30. He risked his life to make up for the help that you could not give to me. Now, in the Greek language, this word risk is a word that is used elsewhere in the first century to describe gambling. We could translate this verse that Epaphroditus gambled his life to get those provisions and that offering to Paul. It gives us another glimpse, another description of what humble service looks like. Humble people will gamble their lives to care for others. The church that I served in Piners was right next 
to Fort Bragg, which was the home of all of the special operations, the special op forces of uh, the U.S. Army. There were many active as well as retired soldiers in the community. Many of them came to uh, our church. Occasionally, uh, I would see soldiers who had lost a limb in their service for their country. And I'll never forget hearing of one soldier's response that when people would come to him and they would tell him that they were sorry that he lost a limb for his country, his response was, I did not lose a limb. I gave a limb for my country. And he began to realize that there are soldiers, brave soldiers, men and women, who regularly gamble their lives so that we could live in this great country that is called the United States of America. It is Memorial Day weekend, and there are soldiers in cemeteries who have died, giving the ultimate sacrifice for the country they loved. They have gambled their lives for us. In this pandemic, there are so many others, healthcare workers, first responders, who are gambling their lives to care for others. It is good for us to stop and to thank God for them. Even people who we have probably ignored in other months suddenly become incredibly significant. We think of the delivery drivers, men and women who have continued to do their job ensuring that the shelves in the stores are filled so that our stomachs remain full. We overlooked them in months past and now we realize how vital they are. There's a whole lot of people today who are gambling their lives so that we can remain safe. And I thought that the best way for us to bring this message uh, to a conclusion today is to, to have you perhaps in a circle there in your home, just to begin to jot down the names, maybe of soldiers, of healthcare workers, first responders, delivery people that have made your life better during this season. Write their names down. And as you write their names down, just stop and pray and say, God, thank you for these humble servants that have made my life better. You know, there's a whole lot of people today who are doing tables because they've been called to do that. They've been faithful. They've been humble. They have been servants and they have been sacrificial. So speaking to those of you who are in that position, thank you. Thank you for what you're doing to keep us all safe. We appreciate you and we love you. And now we pray for you. In Jesus' name, amen. We will feast in the
service today permit me to give you a benediction and now may the grace the, the grace and mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ the wonderful love of God our Father and the sweet sweet fellowship of the Holy Spirit who will never leave you will never forsake you may the sweetness of the fellowship of the Spirit of God be with you in the name of the Father and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. 
Amen. He has done great things we will say together.